Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello, guys, and welcome back. We have another fresh, hot off the press episode here for you guys. And uh, I'm Matt Levy. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Staub. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Hey, everyone out there in Internet land. Let's do it. Let's let's get involved with some turn-based random encounters. We will have a turn-based podcast here. We'll, we will go back to a quainter time, 1987 in Japan, but a few years later to 1990 in the States, Mike. And like always, we always got the Final Fantasy games much later than the folks over in Japan. That we certainly did, and I think that comes down to localization and the amount of time it takes to do that. And it also, you know, makes you realize that Final Fantasy two in the United States is Final Fantasy four in Japan. I mean, we've kind of patched that over now, but there's a reason, like when you look at the timing and releases, there's a reason why the Final Fantasy two in America is Final Fantasy four because Final Fantasy four released in 1991 with like the Super Nintendo. So you could see where the, the timing would be. And Final Fantasies 2 and 3 on the Famicom aren't great. So I can understand why Square, you know, essentially did what they did. Final Fantasy came out in the States pretty much while Final Fantasy 3 was coming out in Japan. So Final Fantasy is a great series. Obviously, it's one of the most important Japanese series, one of the most important RPG series out there. And ultimately, one of the most important video game series in terms of culture and in terms of gaming culture on the whole. I think it's one of the most important series out there, even if we just want to see how it gets us to Final Fantasy VII, which is, as we explained on this podcast, a cultural milestone. I'm a big fan of the original Final Fantasy game. Maybe not in its basic, most original form, but I have enjoyed my time with Final Fantasy quite a bit. So I do want to ask you then, where was your original experience with Final Fantasy? Because you and me were both the same age. We were four when they came to the States. Did you play this on the NES or did you get it in one of the many, many re-releases on either on the PS1, on the Game Boy Advance, on PC, on, and I can go on and on and on. Yeah. So I actually got, I got Final Fantasy on the NES. I got Final Fantasy on the NES in probably what was 1992 or 1993. It's my first real experience with a with an RPG in terms of video games. And I bought it at the KB Toys by my house in the mall. They had it in a bargain bin marked down. It was like 10 bucks. And I had a friend of mine who introduced me to Final Fantasy. He had an older brother. He lived around the block, a few blocks away, and we went to elementary school together. So I would go over there after school or during the summer, and we would play a lot of video games. And one of the games he was always playing was Final Fantasy, and his older brother would play it, and then he would play it. And it got me interested in playing this game. So I borrowed it from him, and I played a little bit of it, and then I went to KB. And they had it in the bin. I'm like, Final Fantasy, I want it. And that was really my first experience with RPGs. Do I go back and play the original Final Fantasy? Not frequently. I, it's actually very, very difficult to play in its original form in 2021. But I do often play one of the re-releases. Quite typically, I will play the Game Boy Advance version on the Final Fantasy Dawn of Souls collection. 
And I pretty much just purchased that those collections for Final Fantasy one because Final Fantasy two is actually awful. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible game. And for those of you out there who think when I say Final Fantasy two, I'm talking about the game with like Cecil and Kane and Rosa. That's Final Fantasy four. That's Final Fantasy four. I know we got it as two, but it's Final Fantasy four. And it's been Final Fantasy four in the States for like 25 years at this point. So when you, or maybe, maybe like 20 years at this point. So when you go back and you play Final Fantasy one on the GBA or the PS one, it's a much, much better game and Final Fantasy II stinks. So you're pretty much buying that collection for the original Final Fantasy, and it's definitely aged better if you play the Game Boy Advance version, the PS1 version, which is actually probably... The PS1 version's great because it still maintains the difficulty of the original with some quality of life improvements, and the GBA one gets really easy. It's kind of easy. And uh, the PSP one is also also very, very good. And I've spent a little bit of time with the Pixel Remaster game. But for the most part, I started the series with Final Fantasy 1. It was my first RPG that I played. I didn't finish it on the NES. I never beat it on the NES, but I played it a lot. And I really learned to love this game and its re-releases on the PlayStation 1 and the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, very cool. I mean, the, the history of this game and people's first experiences with it are always interesting. And for me, my brother had a copy of Dragon Quest and my older brother, it was his NES. And Dragon Quest was prior to Final Fantasy. It was a it was the first true or well-known RPG on the NES, but it didn't really break through as big as Final Fantasy. And the biggest thing for me, what, what hit was that I can see my characters in battle. And that's something that I think Final Fantasy actually started that. They are the originators of, and it sounds like a simple thing, guys, but they, you can see your party on the right side. You can see the enemies on the left side. And you play games like Earthbound and Dragon Quest and some of these games where you can't see, and there's plenty others like it. Some audiences, me being one of them, I have trouble getting into those types of games. No, I get that. Uh, it's definitely present in the original Dragon Warrior games or Dragon Quest games. Uh, Dragon Warrior is Dragon Quest. The actual title of the series is Dragon Quest, but when they brought it over here it was Dragon Warrior because there was some sort of rights issues or something like that. And you don't see your party in that game. Well, I think you're just the one dude anyway. And you just see like slashes across the screen. You see that in Earthbound. You see that in Fantasy Star, which actually I think predates Final Fantasy by a year or so, or maybe about a year, maybe a little less than a year. And Fantasy Star is actually also very good. And it's kind of like an old world style RPG. The Etrian Odyssey games do this. Some of the Shin Megami Tensei games do this where you don't see your character. You kind of just see the big slash across the board. What's another one? Lagrange Point yep. uh, does it that way. It's, it's a very classic feel. It actually kind of takes you back to games like Wizardry. Yeah, it takes you back to like the PC. Yeah, you know, like those PC. old PC games that you yeah. saw just those simple little squares and rectangles on your on your screen and you'd see maybe some items in one section some enemies in a different section your hp mm -hmm. in a different area and it was very basic it's very simple and games like final fantasy i don't think we have games like pokemon where you see your characters on screen if not for final fantasy kind of changing that yeah it definitely is a hard hurdle to hop over to not seeing your party it took me years to understand how that worked it took me to play Earthbound when I was like in my early 30s 
before going back and saying, you know what, I can play these old Dragon Quest games like this again. It, it works out. It's fine. I don't really, bug, it doesn't really bug me that much because, and great because I love Dragon Quest and I love Final Fantasy and I love Earthbound and I love Fantasy Star. These are all really amazing games. But like I was saying, when they were going to make Final Fantasy, they were looking to games like Ultima and Wizardry that have a lot more of this kind of first person experience especially when you're like walking around a dungeon or something like that and the japanese game developers really loved games like ultima and wizardry and with they inspired the creation of dragon quest or dragon warrior and dragon warrior ultimately is what sparked square to give sakaguchi and his very small team of people the go-ahead to make a role-playing game because dragon quest in japan is a big deal or was a very big deal for a very very long time and I think before Monster Hunter eventually comes out in on the PSP or PS2 and PSP generation, I think Dragon Quest is like the biggest seller in Japan until it starts to slowly get overthrown by games like Monster Hunter. So it's very interesting to see how like Dragon Warrior never hit in the States. Yeah, it's always surprising to people in the States because Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior, as you said it, they weren't really well known. I mean, some of the PS2 titles, obviously the newest one, 11, those have become commercially successful, but most of these were big titles in Japan. And as you said, Sakaguchi getting this made by seven people. I mean, you're talking about one guy in charge of coding, one guy in charge of the systems and 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 the the actual system, the gameplay system, the the battle system. One person in charge of like design and the characters. It's it's a small seven people that make a game. And this is like you said, it takes a long time to translate this to the states because of the amount of story and content and and dialogue in these games compared to something like Super Mario Brothers, where there's like your princess is another castle. It's the only thing in English probably in the entire game. Yeah, exactly. Or like Mario's name, which is probably in English in Japan anyway on the screen. And the big deal you're dealing with with the NES in this period of time is that you have character limits. So you could only fit five characters on a screen. So all of your character names have to be like four letter names. And all of the enemies, I think, have a max of like five characters that they could have for a name. So you really can't put a lot of stuff on the screen and in Japan, it makes it's not as hard because if you can have five characters, that can represent, in some cases, five full words. It can represent five syllables. So there's a lot more that you could do with that. So when you write like Goblin in Japanese as a Gabarin, right? That's G-O or G-A-B-A-L-I-R-I-N, right? So you could do like Gobarin. And when you bring that over to America, you can't write Goblin because Goblin is six letters. So it gets changed to Imp. And then the Gray Imp or the Goblin Guard gets changed to Grimp. Gray Imp is what they call it in, in America. So you do, you do see that, that you do, you do, you, you, you kind of see the weird translation things going on here, trying to make stuff make sense with, a, with less characters to do it. Yeah. And famously, the translations done at this time were either not done well or shorthanded or, like you said, not done accurately because they had to do what they had to do. And I don't think they saw the, it as a big investment or a big value in doing it. So it wasn't until years and years later till we got good translations of games. But you're right. They tried to put so much into this game. I mean, the battle system, the leveling up. The, the graphics were considered a big deal at its time, and they fit a lot into this game. 
And this was his dream to make this game. I mean, this was his final challenge. This was his final game, they said. He said he might have went back to university. He might have went back and went on to do something else if not for this game's success. Yeah, and the name Final Fantasy obviously has become part of the history of video game ethos. It's it's hilarious that, I'm sorry, video game mythos rather. Um, it's hilarious that a game called Final Fantasy has spawned a series that has, you know, 13 mainline titles, two online games, a million and one spinoffs, sequels, requels, reboots, remakes, repackaging. It's the power of marketing and the power of alliteration and the power of how good a name sounds. Because a lot of times in Final Fantasy in the game, you are saving the world. And these games aren't usually connected. So it does kind of still work if you're going with the term Final Fantasy. But the whole rumor and the joke was that Final Fantasy was going to be the last game Square was going to put out. And they did not see it being a success. They figured it would flop and the company would shut its doors and guys like Sakaguchi would find something else to do with their lives. And then it turned out to be a mega hit and kind of kept Sakaguchi busy for, I don't know, um, like 13 years, right? It kept him busy until like 2000 when they made The Spirits Within, which almost bankrupted the company. Square was so big at that point in time, they said they were going to go into making movies and that didn't work out all that well for them. That movie was hard to sit through. I'm very sorry for those of you that like it out there. I watched that and I think I fell asleep a couple of times. It's the thing is, is that Final Fantasy works because you're engaged with it. When they make a movie out of it, it doesn't end up that well. I mean, I don't even like, I'm not even really a big fan of Advent Children. I don't think Advent Children is a very good movie. I think it's cool to see the characters, right? Doing cool stuff. But in the end, I just don't, I don't think it's compelling. I think these, these stories are the most compelling when there's something that you could sit down and play and interact with. And Final Fantasy 1, the original Final Fantasy, is everything like that. Now, this is the most probably fantastic of the fantasy games, of the Final Fantasy games, in terms of like where it's taking from. Very few of the Final Fantasy games give you elves and dwarves and goblins and and ogres and giants and all of your like and werewolves and like your all of your classic fantasy tropes are found here. Now, they're done through a very unique lens because Square was able to hire vampire D mangaka Yoshitaka Amano, whose artwork really just resonates with the series. And he's he's done pretty much every game in the series between the first game and like nine, except for like seven and eight are the two games he really didn't work on. He's done art for them later on. And Square's ability to take Amano's artwork and transform it into sprites for an 8-bit console is unbelievable. It's something that should be uh, applauded because his artwork is so out there. It's so intricate. It's so unique. It's so different. It's so odd. Even for like the manga kind of world that he comes from. And they're able to make it translate into 8-bit. And the art in Final Fantasy, I think, is what really drives it home. Dragon Quest is beautiful, and I love Dragon Quest, and I'm obviously a big Toriyama fan. But when you compare Dragon Quest visually to Final Fantasy visually, it's it's night and day. Dragon Quest 1 looks like a coloring book, and Final Fantasy 1 looks like 
a fantasy novel, right? It looks like this big Lord of the Rings style fantasy novel that has all these very unique and intricate illustrations in it. And I think that's part of the reason why it's sold in the States. I think it, there was a maturity to it. There was a seriousness to it. And there was a, it was detailed. It was, it was, it was a little grotesque almost. It was scarier. It was everything. It had more teeth, you know? Yeah. I know you've talked about it before, Mike, but they do a really good job in this series of jumping around between medieval and jumping between fantasy and jumping between like steampunk and some different styles. And this one, as you said, you got dwarves and elves and dragons and mermaids. And there's a lot of influence here of actually of, of Dungeons and Dragons, which people don't realize has been around since the 70s. And there's a lot of Western influence in this Japanese series that's become very Japanese. It's in its origin and its creation and where everything comes from. But in this game specifically, there is a lot of Western influence. Oh, yeah. And I think it's the way the world works. And RPGs in general are so heavily influenced by one one another. Every RPG from 1976 through 1987, to, uh, or 1987, 1991, 1992, all of those games that came out, any RPG in that realm was inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. Whether you're fighting the five, the four great fiends, you fight Marlith or whatever her name is, that's a Dungeons and Dragons monster. You fight Tiamat, that's a Dungeons and Dragons monster. You fight even Chaos to a degree is almost like a Dungeons and Dragons monster. You go to the elf city to save the elf prince from being, he's, you know, knocked out, he's passed out, he can't wake up. That's a Dungeons and Dragons thing. You fight the vampire, that's a Dungeons and Dragons thing. These are all Dungeons and Dragons monsters and plot points. As you traverse around, I think it's Corneria, right, is the main city, and you have the whole the whole world there. As you traverse this area, you're coming across a lot of Dungeons and Dragons tropes. Whether you're fighting ogres or hill giants in the hills, and all these things like hill giants, that's a Dungeons and Dragons a thing that's very big for them, like the Forgotten Realms of Dungeons and Dragons in the early '80s. When you're getting into advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and you're playing 2.0. And you've got the hill giants versus the forest, the, the, the ice giants versus this. And you have all that in Final Fantasy with your ogres and your giants and all that stuff. And when you, when you do that, you're, in, you're inspired. You're obviously inspired by D&D. But by the time you get to 2000, 2001, 2003, the mid-aughts, right? And now RPGs of every scale, shape and form, Western, Eastern JRPGs, uh, tabletop RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons, they're all heavily influenced by Final Fantasy now too. To the point where like the samurai is a main is normally a class in a, in a lot of Dungeons and Dragons settings now. The ninja is normally a class. The monk is a base class in Dungeons and Dragons now. Almost likely because of the inspiration from Final Fantasy. And your monks in Dungeons and Dragons are not like Christian monks that we think of as they as they work for the church to kind of translate the bible they're kung fu monks right they're monks that do martial arts which is very much a final fantasy trope that's all part of that type of thing so there's this beautiful rpg creative space that we all borrow from as people who play rpgs like we do on the on the video games as people who run dungeons and dragons campaigns like i do there's not a single game that i run or write or create that isn't in, at least in some way based or inspired by Final Fantasy and the things that it has done over the last 30 some odd years, just because it's so influential to the overall headspace of it all. At this point in time, 
I know this is crazy to say this. I think that fantasy in general and RPGs are as inspired by Final Fantasy at this point in time than Dungeons and Dragons was inspired by Tolkien. Tolkien obviously does everything, right? Creates what Dungeons and Dragons comes and heavily inspires Dungeons and Dragons 1976, right? The Tolkien books, the Lord of the Rings come out in the 50s, 53, 50, whatever. About 20 years later, Dungeons and Dragons comes out, which is like, hey, guess what? You like The Hobbit? You like The Lord of the Rings? You can play through it. 87, 86, 87, 87, Final Fantasy comes out. Heavily inspired by both Tolkien and Dungeons and Dragons, right? We're now 30... 30, what, 34 years from Final Fantasy? The time is showing that current RPGs are as influenced by Tolkien as they are by Final Fantasy. And you can take, I'd say, any RPG video game series out there or game. You could say, well, Chrono Trigger is your favorite. Or you can say that name X, whether you said a fantasy star, or any of them out there, you could pick your favorite RPG out there. None of them are as big or mainstream a series as Final Fantasy. And that's that's not something you can argue. It is the biggest series. It's the biggest, it's definitely the biggest Japanese series in terms of RPGs. I would even argue that it's the most prominent RPG series on the market. I understand that the Elder Scrolls has a lot of heat. It's got a lot of fans. It's got a lot of people. But I would say that more people are familiar with Final Fantasy than they are, say, the Elder Scrolls. They might know Skyrim, and Skyrim is on like every console ever made. And I know people don't like to hear this, but Final Fantasy VII is one of the most important games ever made. I know people like to hate on Final Fantasy VII because it's popular and it's cool to hate on stuff that people like or that's that's considered good or popular by the mass mass media or the mass uh, the populace, the the overall populace. Final Fantasy VII is a watershed moment for both RPGs and video games. And obviously, as we said a million times on the podcast, anime and Japanese culture in the United States. You can't tell me that Final Fantasy VII isn't one of the most recognized and important video games of all time. You can't. It's And saying that Final Fantasy isn't the most important or most popular or most prominent RPG series out there, if you're going to argue with that, I, you're heavily mistaken. And, I, and it's looking hard. And Mike, looking at Final Fantasy VII, it's obviously a different story than Final Fantasy yeah, 1. It's obviously different characters, but it still takes so much of what this original game did mm-hmm. with obviously bigger production value, different story, bigger characters, bigger this, but it takes all of the essence and DNA of what we know about Final Fantasy and it's all there. All there. When you take a potion, there. when you're doing turn-based battle, that's all right there in the game and it's not doing much different. So if you enjoy one or two or three of these games, you're going to enjoy most of them. And obviously, until you get to some of the newer ones that are less turn-based, and some people get, when you get to like Final Fantasy 12 and Final Fantasy 13, where you are not just going into a random encounter and you are now having to set up your characters in certain spots and, and monitor what they're doing. This game, for seven, eight games, nine, ten games, kind of replicated that formula, and it worked really, really well. It did. It really did work well. And it all starts here in Final Fantasy One. I. I know a lot of people like to trash on flesh, like to trash Final Fantasy One, like, oh, it's not as good. And it's this, that. I think Final Fantasy One's a brilliant game. I think it's very important. I think it offers the player some agency at the very beginning, off from the gate. You get to choose your four characters and their four classes. You get to choose from, I think, a list of six or seven classes because there's the fighter, the, the fighter, the, the thief the monk or the black belt, 
the mage, the white mage, mage, the black mage, and the red mage. So you get to choose from six different character classes with four characters. And you get to name the characters, but it gives people like ownership over the yes. characters. That is something it, that is huge and something you can't understate is what that does. It makes it your fantasy, your story. You can, I mean, you can name your character you if you want. If you only have four characters in your name, like we do, we're lucky enough that we can name our characters Matt and or Mike, and it's fine. It works. But I always named my characters these four things, and I don't know why. Bunk, Dunk, Chunk, and Sam. That's my team in Final Fantasy across the board every single time I play the game. It doesn't matter. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from, but that's my Final Fantasy team. And I don't think you can name them Chunk on the NES. I think that happened once we got to like the PS1 era. I don't know what I would what I call them for the first game. But yeah, no, for some reason, I just fall into that. And I do it in other games too, every so often, if I name my whole- Mike, now I feel like I have to go with the authentic characters that they choose. Back in the day, I would pick either superhero or wrestling characters as the names, and just kind of yeah. abbreviate it. It'd be Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, the Macho <laughs> Man. That's you know, what's they- nice about these games. It's, it's your fantasy and you get to make the characters your friends, name it after your friends, your buddies, yourself. There's just yeah. so much- freedom that they give you and this really is the freedom they give you exploring the world exploring these areas exploring the castles the level of exploration they give you is almost akin to like zelda which we talked about recently where you just you're in this open world this is an open world and there's a freedom to that it there is a freedom to it you can grind if you want you can go to that little hallway in one of the dungeons where every step you fight a giant you can make a lot of money and you could you can't really do stuff out of order but there are some secrets, right? You can get upgraded classes for all your characters. Like you get prestige classes, which is like mind blowing for 1987. If you think about it, it's like the warrior becomes a, the fighter becomes a knight or a warrior, whatever they call it. I don't know. In the original game, the thief is useless. He becomes the ninja, which is just as useless. The black belt or the monk becomes the master, which is probably the best class in the game. The white weight mage, the black mage become white and black wizards and the red major i think becomes a red wizard but the red major final fantasy one's kind of weird so it's one of those things where there is an openness to it you could do what you want you can move around this plane of existence you could level up and the game isn't long you could probably clear final fantasy in 10 hours i was thinking around 10 hours 10, or 10 so hours? yeah i i finally beat it it was either on the gba it was either an emulator sorry people out there, or it might've been actually on a mobile version because I had a lot of free time at that point. But playing this game, like you said, in the original form is rough now. So you do want to play one of the- Oh yeah, it's real it's, bad. It's very rough now, but you have to remember for its time, what it was doing. And I would recommend, and maybe I'm in the minority here. I like playing some of these older games with a guide because they don't give you enough handholding or enough information of where to go and what to do next. Listen, so that- bust out, bust out an internet map from Google, right? Yep. Bust out a walkthrough, keep it on a tab while you're on your emulator. I mean, playing at your computer desk. <laughs> on your- and there's a lot of missable items in these games. Tons. And I, I don't remember if there was in this one originally, but there's usually like better weapons and better, you know, items and valuables that you can find if you know where to look. Yeah, by the end of game, you're getting like the best stuff out of treasure chests in dungeons. So that's really cool. It does get a little dungeon crawly. The dungeons can go on a little long in this game. But the worst thing about the original NES release was that your attacks 
wouldn't move over to the next guy if someone got killed in battle. So if you have a fighter and a monk and a let's say you're let's say you're doing the four fighter fiesta and you're all attacking one guy. If that guy that the first one, if let's say the first guy kills the enemy in a sh- one shot, well, guess what? It's going to be attack ineffective because there's no target. That's the worst thing about that game and probably the encounter rate at that point. Also, the fact that like you get spell slots, so you can only use a spell a certain amount of times per level. That's very Dungeons and Dragons based, where in remakes of this game, they've changed it over to MP, which makes more sense mathematically. It's probably the same thing. Uh, on the grand scale of things, but it's one of those things where it's just like, this is confusing and I hate it. So if you are going to play Final Fantasy, definitely get the GBA version or buy Game Boy Advance and buy a cartridge. Or if you're like me, you can have an EverDrive or you can now play it on your PC. Yeah, the, you Pixel remaster. the Pixel Remaster. Pixel Remaster, which is actually a pretty good version of the game. I've played a bit of it and I really do like it. And what this game does is it sets the foundation for this series. This game has an airship. La-di-da. How great is that? Every Final Fantasy game from here on out has an airship. This game also has a boat, so you can take your ship all over the place and fight a bunch of sharks. It's got this cool thing where you like you can ride your ship into a river, and then you get into a canoe, and you go around all these like rivers and stuff. That hasn't come back in any Final Fantasy games. The closest we've gotten to that is the tiny Bronco, which is a plane. And it's one of those things where where it's got a lot of that Final Fantasy DNA. To this day, you, you still get little bits and pieces of like what the old characters look like in newer newer games. And it's heavily influential on the Final Fantasy job system. Obviously, the jobs are everything in Final Fantasy. The original Final Fantasy, they're pretty much what your characters are. But by the time you get to Final Fantasy III, and even more importantly, Final Fantasy V and Final Fantasy Tactics, those Final Fantasy job classes from the original game really do carry over. And you do have your fighter who has like a very similar look, like even Bart's or or Butsu from or Batsu from Final Fantasy V. We call him Bart's in the states, so I'm going to call him Bart's. Even Bart's from Final Fantasy V kind of looks like your generic fighter from the first game, and especially when you make him a a fighter, he has more of that look. So you see that DNA throughout the series, even to the point where you're playing Final Fantasy XIV. And you're, you've got your job classes and your job classes for the most part at the beginning of the game or when you level up a little bit really do mimic the Final Fantasy job classes. So this game set the table for everything except for Chocobos and Moogles, but they come a little, little later. <laughs> it does set the table for a lot of different things. The story I don't think was incredible, but it was good for its time. I mean, you're, you're collecting these four elemental crystals. I know the final boss, Garland, who's chaos at the end that you fight. So, well, you got to go back in time. Yeah. You got to go back in time, like what, like 800 or a thousand years or something? Or do you go forward in time? There's time I know there's time travel. Yeah. I mean, if you're sticking with the story, then you're probably doing better than I was. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this much. You get the reason why you have to relight the crystals is because the elements aren't working anymore. So the elements don't work. The, the water's not working, the wind isn't working, the earth isn't working, and the fire's not working. So you have to go and relight these crystals because you were chosen as crystal bearers, as warriors of light, to save this whole kingdom of Cornelia or the whole planet or whatever you want to call it. And you, you end up fighting these fiends that are protecting the crystals or leeching off the crystals, and you end up fighting chaos. You beat chaos, you save everyone. It's, it's pretty 
straight and straightforward. It's very, it's very easy to grasp. It's, it's like a one, it's like a one shot story. You might play in some D and D group. I don't know, man. That that'll take a while. <laughs> uh, one dungeon's usually enough for a night. I'll tell you right now, especially with people's schedules. Jeez. Oh but man, it is hard to it is hard to get through a full it's, battle. It's hard. Oh, forget it. Don't get me started. I, but- I have very, 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 <laughs> I have very, very, very strong opinions on how combat in Dungeons and Dragons should work. So, but that's not for this podcast. But th- this game is very similar in that you get these random encounters. You're going through battles. You're level grinding. Everything you know about RPGs, it's here. And there's the diversity right. of the overworld map between town and dungeon maps, the battle screen. It, it, you have a bit of exploration, battling. You get to equip the guys the way you want to equip them. And there is a nice, as you said, travel mechanics in traveling by foot, traveling by ship, canoe, airship. There's a lot here that you see throughout the next, like you said, half a dozen Final Fantasies. And some of them you might only see once here. And I definitely think the game's worth playing. I know you said that oh, the yeah. second one, which the second in Japan is a little poo-poo. The one it's a little poo-poo. I would Trash. agree. Yeah. It's, 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 it's more than a little poo-pooed. It's, it's bad. Kawazu stinks. I don't like anything he's done. The saga, wow. series, the saga series is not good. The saga series is bad guys. This we have to, we RPG gamers have to come together and finally just put two and two together and be like, you know what? Saga, not a good series. Let him make that obtuse garbage for elitist video game nerds who want to hold it over people that there's a better series out there than Final Fantasy. Yeah, there might be a better series out there by fi- than Final Fantasy. There might be. There might be a better RPG series. And it's definitely not called Saga, okay? It might be called... It might be called Dragon Quest. It might be called Persona. It might be called, be called Yakuza because Yakuza 7 is so good. But Final Fantasy is so good. Final Fantasy 2 is a piece of garbage. Final Fantasy 3 is okay. I enjoyed Final Fantasy 3. I actually had a really good time with it. 4, 5, and 6 are obviously the next leap. Fantasy original trilogy. So it's hard to necessarily compare. It's not fair. 4, 5, and 6 are like Star Wars, a mechanical masterpiece, and Star Wars. Well, it's like Super Metroid to Metroid. I mean, it's like... Yeah, It's not fair. It's not fair, but like Final Fantasy 5 in the middle is kind of like a retelling of one, but really, really good mechanics. That was back in the day where the odd number Final Fantasy games are more about mechanics and the even number fantasy Final Fantasy games yeah. are more about story. So Final Fantasy 2 has good story and cool characters because it does to give yeah, it its credit, sure. but it's it's awful. Look at you complimenting so, Final Fantasy 2. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Uh, every now and again, you'll find a diamond in there if you really want to <laughs> dig hard enough. So, but we we also can't be we can't forget we can't forget uh, uh, amidst our talking about how great Final Fantasy one is in the series that we can't forget that Nobuo Yamatsu is the composer for this, mm. who wrote some of the some of the most memorable video game music of all time. First showing up in this game, there's so much of Final Fantasy's themes and songs that show up in like every single Final Fantasy game. Obviously, the victory fanfare is the biggest that shows up in literally every Final Fantasy game ever made to the end of time. If it's not in there, people won't play it. And, But its battle theme is great. There's some very good themes when you're in caves. The dungeon themes are good. The sailing themes are good. So Uimatsu is firing on all cylinders, doing a a bang-up job. And he was not a a rookie at this point. I think he had already developed and, and been involved in a dozen or so games. But this seems to be... 
this is one like of the, the most one. yeah yeah this absolutely i'm glad you brought that up because if we didn't discuss the, the the score the music of this game it's like criminally unfair it's almost like the series hinges on its music in many instances it's one of those things where it's like if i played this game with worse music would it be as good and yeah. i don't know if it would be i don't yeah. know because the experience of video game is very important I 100% agree. So thank you, Mike, for, for bringing that up. I had to. And I had to also trash Final Fantasy 2 again because it's horrible. Any game where you only get HP increases by hurting yourself or getting taking damage is stupid. And you got to spend your whole time fighting your own teammates to make the game work. It's trash. Get it out of here. Worst Final Fantasy, <laughs> hands down. Final Fantasy 2, worst Final Fantasy. So I don't think next week we'll be talking about Final Fantasy 2 entering oh, the Hall of Fame. I think we should. <laughs> I think we should put it in the Hall of Shame. So, Mike, see if you could bring us home. See if you can wrap up 1987 in Japan. We got it eventually in 1990. The original, the OG Final Fantasy, the RPG that probably kept RPGs alive. I definitely think that it helped immensely. It was a big hit in the United States too. Final Fantasy came out of the United States with a big hit. Luckily, Nintendo Power, I think, covered it for months. And the reason why Dragon Warrior was even somewhat popular in the States and got a little bit of a following at that era, I think they gave away Dragon Warrior with a subscription to Nintendo Power. So anyone who subscribed to Nintendo Power, I think got a Dragon Warrior. I might be wrong, but we can look into that. Wrap up Final Fantasy in a bow. It is the prototypical... RPG, the prototypical JRPG. It's immensely important. Its gameplay style has, has grown past its genre in some instances. It's grown past its generation. It is omnipresent in every RPG we play today, even the ones that are action-based. They all go back to Final Fantasy. And if you're playing a turn-based RPG in 2021, like I still do, new turn-based RPGs, like your Personas, like your Octopath Travelers, like your Bravely Defaults, like your Yakuza 7s, like your Dragon Quest 11s, it's all there. It takes us all back to square one, and that is with Final Fantasy. You would not have the proliferation of this genre without Final Fantasy. Even though games like Fantasy Star are amazing, Final Fantasy had the name, Final Fantasy made the splash, and Final Fantasy ultimately changed the gaming world. And Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I think that's great. And like you said, it was super successful. It sold over half a million copies in both Japan and in the States when it came out. And then Beautiful. obviously upon all these re-releases, dozens and dozens of more. And like you said, we do not have games like Chrono Trigger, Super Mario RPG, Final Fantasy VII. Pick your favorite RPG. It does not exist without Final Fantasy. No, unless you're talking about Dragon Quest Really, unless right. you're talking about Dragon Quest. That's really, really, really. That's the end of the it. list. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Mike, thank you very much, as always, for joining us here on thank the you, Hall Matt. of Fame pod. If you could, please tell us, what have you been playing? I have a really depressing answer because it's nothing. Outside of playing a little bit of Magic the Gathering Arena here or there, I've been very, very busy and very, very tapped for time. And I've played next to nothing. I'm actually having a hard time finding a video game to play right now. I'm in that period and I get like this every so often where like nothing interests me. So it's usually my, my, my guts way of telling me, Hey, let's, let's take a break and we can come back maybe in a few weeks and we'll try something out. I do have tales of arise, which I think by the time this airs comes out today, maybe I'll play that and get really into it. But as of right now, I'm on a little bit of a gaming break because I got way too much other stuff to do. And I do jump in and play a few games of Magic the Gathering Arena here and there. So it won't be like this for too long, but it'll probably be like this for at least an episode. So sorry, 
but <laughs> it's not interesting. But hey, everyone needs a break. What about hey, you? that's fair. Uh, I'm kind of in the same lull as you. I jumped back in Paper Mario just to kind of push myself along a little bit. Still not loving it, but I might the completionist in me is keeping me pushing along. And then I have been, I was a little under the weather this past week. So I watched a little more of the Castlevania series. I finished season oh, three. Cool. Season three, it was interesting. I'm still really enjoying it. It was different than the first two, but I definitely enjoyed where the stories went, where the characters are going. And I'm looking forward to finishing the final season. Well, good. Enjoy. It's a good one. It's a great show. And it keeps you involved in the video game cycle without being yeah. like me and just going like, I'm not playing anything. Right. Sorry, I'm not, guys. I'm not really playing anything, but I feel like I'm involved in the video game world when I'm watching yes. a video game show. So I, I get that. That's 100% true. So that'll be it for us this week. Mike, can you tell the world what have you been busy doing and what where can people find you? Sure. You can find me here every week on the Hall of Fame podcast featuring video games. You can also find me on another podcast that I co-host called How About This, where we take series like Final Fantasy and come up with a pitch based maybe a new game, maybe a TV show, maybe a movie, maybe a comic book, maybe something, maybe a Dungeons and Dragons scene or Dungeons and Dragons uh, module. And we, we do that. You can also find me with my band, Bad Mary. You can find me there at Bad Mary Band on all social media. You can also find me at Long Island Retro Gaming and LI Retro on the internet if you want to see me talk about video games in other places. I also do a podcast there as, as well as some other videos. And you can follow me at the underscore Mike underscore Staub on pretty much all social media. Instagram and, Facebook and Twitter are the ones that I would frequent the most for content like this. So... Thanks. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We might be going uh, to a possibly to a bi-weekly so we have more time to record. We both have been busy, and I think that'll make things a little easier scheduling-wise. So do look out for that. Please do comment, like, subscribe, do all the good stuff that helps us on our ratings and reviews. Yep. And... Yeah, this content is also mostly evergreen. So if you haven't gone back and listened to the old stuff, you should. Yeah, N none of the what we talk about here is really based on when it came out. You can listen back to these. And even if you haven't played the game, you might find out what makes it great and why we appreciate why this game is one of the best of all time. So that's why we are here each week uh, doing our due diligence. That's right, Matt. Thank you. Thanks. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you next time. See you out there. Hit the reset button. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.